Well, good morning. It is uh, good, good to see you this morning. And uh, I, I, that's kind of a somber entrance into a sermon series. And uh, that is it's because what we're going to really talk about in this next uh, several weeks are some heavy things, uh, some significant things. Um, I, I don't know when the last time you bought a, a simple toy um, or something tech, techno-savvy. Like you, you buy something, it always comes with a manual, right? It always comes with like a how do you operate this thing? And you know, our minds and our emotions are so complex and yet nobody ever gave us that manual of how do you navigate this really well? How do you how do you process this uh, really well? And so we're we're going to look to God's word uh, and we're going to see how um, this uh, book of Psalms is, is really a great manual that God has given us to help us navigate the emotions that we have. Um, so I'm glad you're here. If you're a guest with us, uh, I'm thankful uh, that the Lord has brought you here on this Sunday. And uh, if you are a regular here, it's good to see you as usual. And for those of you who are connecting with us online, uh, we're thankful uh, that we can stay connected like this through technology. And we know many of you, uh, this might be your first time watching, will watch online before you ever come here in person. And we look forward to when we can get to know you in person. And so... Um, I want us to, as we dive into this topic of the Psalms and, and particularly just navigating our emotions and looking at the Psalms uh, as this kind of roadmap to help us do that, I want to uh, focus in on three of these. I just want to read as we begin the series three of what are referred to as lament Psalms or uh, Psalms of disorientation. And so I just want you to hear these. Uh, Psalm 13 is um, kind of a personal uh, psalm of disorientation or, or lament psalm. And it just says this, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But some of the, some of the other psalms of, of lament are, are not personal, but, but they're more corporate. And, and so I just, even as I, we read this Psalm 79, I, I would just let you know that this passage of scripture was picked uh, long before today, as I reread even all of these passages yesterday and today, I just thought, man, how, how timely are, are God's words for us. This particular psalm was the corporate people of God crying out because of the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. But there's so much uh, that's going on in Israel even now uh, as we read this. I just want you to just to hear the pain of this in Psalm 79. Verses 1 through 4. O oh God, pagan nations have conquered your land, your special possession. They have defiled your holy temple and made Jerusalem a heap of ruins. They have left the bodies of your servants as food for the birds of heaven. The flesh of your godly ones has become food for the wild animals. Blood has flowed like water all around Jerusalem. No one is left to bury the dead. We are mocked by our neighbors, an object of scorn and derision to those around us. And Psalm 137, verses 1 through 4 says this, 
Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? What I want us to do this morning is just kind of lay the groundwork with some, some things, some truths uh, that we can discover about emotions, some, some understanding that we can kind of approach this series together um, as we engage this topic. And, and each one of the following weeks, we're going to tackle one emotion each week. And, and we're going to talk about next week's sadness and depression. Uh, we're going to talk about anger we're going to talk about fear, we're going to talk about desire, and, and we're going to look to uh, some of these particular psalms of disorientation or lament psalms to help us understand how God's word can give us a roadmap to navigate these emotions that we have. And so uh, as we dive in this morning, I want to read you just a portion of Frederick Beekner's autobiography. Um, and in, in this, um, the, the title of it is Telling Secrets. He tells a story, and I, the reason I want to read this to us is because whenever you have an emotional reaction um, that is just a really strong emotional reaction, um, and, and you just kind of think, wow, where'd that come from? Um, why, why did that trigger me in the way that that triggered me with such an intense emotion? There's always something in the background that is, that is kind of causing different triggers. And, and so both as you look at your own life and as you see other people react in strong ways, know that there's always something behind the scenes. There's always a story behind what, what you can easily see that, that causes emotions to be so strong at various times. He tells this story. Um, he says, one November in 1936, when I was 10 years old, my father got up early put on a pair of gray slacks and a maroon sweater and opened the door to look in briefly on my younger brother and me who were playing a game in our room. And then he went down to the garage where he turned on the engine of the family Chevy and sat down on the running board to wait for the exhaust to kill him. Except for a memorial service for his Princeton class the next spring, by which time we had moved away to another part of the world altogether, there was no funeral because both my mother's side and my father's, there was no church connections of any kind, and funerals were simply not part of the tradition. He was cremated, his ashes were buried in a cemetery in Brooklyn, and I have no idea who, if anybody, was present. I know only that my mother, brother, and I were not. There was no funeral to mark his death and to put a period at the end of the sentence that had been his life. And as far as I can remember, once he had died, my mother, brother, and I rarely talked about him much ever again, either to each other or to anybody else. He ma it made my mother too sad to talk about him, and since there was already more than enough sadness to go around, my brother and I avoided the subject with her as she avoided it for her own reasons also with us. Once in a while, she would bring it up, but only in very oblique ways. I remember her saying things like, you're going to have to be big boys now, and now things are going to be different for all of us. And to me specifically, you're the man of the family now. 
And with that one three-letter adverb, freighted with more grief and anger and guilt and God knows what else than I could possibly bear. It was 55 years later when he finally was able to tell his family secret. Um, and, and I would just remind us that there is always something more in the background of people's life. There, there's something more in the background of your life. There's something more in the background of the people that you interact with. And, and oftentimes when, when emotions rise up in strong ways, there are, there are reasons. Certainly there are reasons in the present, uh, but there are oftentimes things from our past that uh, stir and trigger and, and cause strong emotions uh, to come at different times. <clears throat> and if you think about emotions maybe as a window to your own soul, you can, you can look at the emotional uh, stances that you have, the, the ways that your emotions are going because of certain things. And, and if you're willing to take the time and look inward, if you're willing to take the time to wrestle with this and to do some of the hard work and to do what Scripture teaches us to do, which is talk to God and wrestle with God with those emotions, uh, that you can find uh, that there is a way to navigate these things in, in a healthy way where you can come out in, in better, more positive lights. And so our emotions actually tell us a lot about what's going on in ourselves. Emotions can tell us a lot what's going on in the people around us, and emotions can tell us how we think about and how we feel about God. Uh, this weekend, we went to the beach in uh, West Palm Beach uh, with, with Melanie's family. Uh, Meredith turned seven this week, and so kind of as a birthday thing, we went to go spend time uh, with her side of the family. And uh, the beach in West Palm Beach is different than the beach here. Uh, the waves are not nearly as good, right? So if you like calm waves, then it's great. Uh, but if you actually enjoy riding the waves, um, then it's not quite as exciting as the waves are here. I don't know when the last time you went surfboarding or, or boogie boarding. Or, um, it's, it's pretty intense here. You know, you get a you get a boogie board, you get a surfboard, whatever it might be, and you know sometimes this is how emotions are. You, you can catch that wave just right, and when you catch it, you can ride it all the way in to the beach. I mean, it, and it just, it feels good, you're at the top of the wave, and sometimes that's how emotions are. You wake up in the morning, and you feel like you caught the top of the wave. And, and then there's other times where you don't catch the wave just right, and the wave like, kind of pummels you into the ground and you know especially here sometimes there's rock formations under the ground not soft sand everywhere and, and you get pummeled into the sand and you end up with scrapes and you you can't catch your breath and you get up and oftentimes that's how our emotions cause us to, to feel is that we're just getting beat up and beat up and we're, we're churning in the sand and and then sometimes um, you're just kind of out there waiting for the wave to come and it's just like you wish it would come, you want it to come, but there's just no wave to be had. Um, and, it, you know, oftentimes our emotions can be like this. And, and we deal with these emotions in all kinds of different ways. Uh, we, we have all kinds of ways to process them, some healthy, some not so healthy. Um, and sometimes we try to avoid our feelings, um, you know, if we just try to ignore them. Um, then, you know, like ignore the bad feelings. Um, pretend like the bad feelings aren't there. Just sweep them under the rug. And, 
Um, if, if we do that too often, they, there's, there's lots of challenges that build up. And, and if you start to ignore the bad feelings, then you have to ignore the really good. You know, you can't, you, and then you just kind of walk through life numb. Sometimes we, we try to hide our emotions with another emotion to camouflage it. There's, there's what we call primary emotions. Um, and your primary emotions are the initial emotion that you have because of a situation. Uh, there, there is something that happens and you have an emotion about what happened. But then there's often secondary emotions that you have because of the first emotion that you had. So you'll have a primary emotion, but then you'll have some secondary emotions and, and then they all start to bleed together and then you don't know why you're feeling what you're feeling and are you feeling this because of the event or are you feeling this because of another emotion? And so just some examples of that. You, you, get, a, you get a bad uh, grade on a test and you're disappointed. It's a primary emotion. I'm disappointed that I got this bad grade. But then you're angry at yourself because you know you should have studied harder, you could have studied harder, and, and you feel some shame that uh, you didn't do as well as you thought you should have done. And so you've got this shame bundled up with anger that are secondary emotions based on the first emotion, which was disappointment that you didn't do as well on the test grade as that you wanted to do. And, and they all just start bleeding together. So there's this shame and there's this anger and there's this disappointment and trying to figure out and navigate which one is the primary and which ones are response to it, which are oftentimes learned responses um, and how you deal with that. So there, another is um, maybe somebody in your family gets another job and you have to move uh, to another town or another place. And, and so there's sadness that you have to move. And, and that sadness then causes you to then feel guilty because I really ought to feel good for my family member who got this new job, but, but there's all this sadness that you have, and, and then you feel guilty for feeling sad, and then um, there's all of this guilt and sadness, and you don't know which is first and which is what, and, and, and which is a primary and which is a secondary. And, and then there's anger. Anger is, uh, can be a primary emotion that something happens and you get angry, but anger can also be one of the the biggest and, and the foremost secondary emotions that oftentimes we use to camouflage a primary emotion. So uh, men are, are especially bad at this uh, because somewhere along the line, a lot of men in America have been taught it's not okay to be sad, it's not okay to be hurt, it's not okay to be vulnerable. Um, and so when we feel hurt, when we feel sad, when we feel like something has been painful, and instead of showing those emotions of hurt, Instead of showing those emotions and being vulnerable to say, hey, this was a really painful thing, we show anger and we mask the hurt and we mask the, the different things with, with anger. And so all of these things become really problematic because as we try to ignore our emotions, as we try to cover over our emotions with other emotions and mask them and camouflage them, as we try to do things like just kind of pretend like we don't care, I just don't care. Um, and, and the problem with pretending like we don't care is, is, is we think that saying, hey, I don't care will insulate me from the highs and the lows. But really, whether we, you could say we don't care, we don't care, we don't care all we want, but ultimately we all do care. 
ultimately we all have these emotions, we all have these feelings, and, and figuring out and knowing how to navigate them is just such a difficult thing. And, and if you're like me, you're like, there's got to be a roadmap, there's got to be a manual somewhere. Why, why don't they teach us this? I mean, they teach us math. That's apparently important. Why can't they teach us this stuff um, in school? That was a joke for those of you who really like math. Um, not much of a math fan myself. However, um, you know, this seems really important, and yet nobody ever gave us a roadmap for this. Nobody ever teaches us how to navigate these well. And so uh, there's so many other things that we do. What I want us to do today is just give us four key truths that we can hold on to that are going to be groundwork for us as we move into talking about each one of these emotions over the next several weeks. And the first key truth, if you're a note taker, you can write this down, is emotions have a positive, God-given purpose. There are a lot of people that just look at emotions in a negative light. Um, sometimes, um, and, and just as an example, people will say things like, he or she is so emotional. Right? That's rarely a compliment. Rarely a compliment when somebody says that. Like, that there's just this, you know, like, oh, they're so emotional. Like, emotions, like, are just seen in this negative light, this negative perspective. Um, but God has given us these emotions to help us process the things that are going on in the world around us. So there's all kinds of things in the world that are coming to us. And God has given us these emotions on the inside to help us process and to help us navigate the things that are going on on the outside. And so everybody gets angry. Everybody, whether it doesn't matter how long you walk with Jesus, it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus and how committed you are, how faithful you are, everybody is going to get angry. Everybody is going to get hurt. Everyone feels a sense of longing and loneliness. I, if you look at just the life of Jesus, right? So we, we say that what we want to do is we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be Christ-like. When you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, if you just look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you just read about Jesus' emotions, Jesus has a lot of emotions. This is God in flesh. We believe that Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% human. And so he has all of these human emotions. And Jesus just deals with all of these things. We see that um, when Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he sees all these people that God loved so much. He, he sees these people that are so distant from God and and, and don't even know how to be in relationship with God. And, and he just grieves, Scripture says, that he's full of grief as he looks over Jerusalem. We, we see that when Jesus looks at particular religious leaders who are so caught up in rules and regulations and all of these things, and, and they aren't helping people be in relationship with God, but they're actually creating more barriers, we see that Jesus has a righteous anger towards their hypocrisy. And all that stirs up within Jesus on that. We, we see that when uh, Jesus sends out the 72 to go do ministry and they come back and they've, they're celebrating all the things that God has done through them, there's this joy that Jesus has at the faithfulness of God through these servants who are doing the very things that God has equipped and empowered them to do. When his friend Lazarus dies, Jesus shows up at the tomb and, and even though he knows that he's about to raise him from the grave... Scripture says that at the tomb he wept, that he felt just deep sadness at his friend's loss 
and his friend's death. And, and before going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, there in the garden, Jesus feels lonely. He feels anxious. He, he feels overwhelmed. He, he feels abandoned because he knows that all of his friends are going to abandon. I mean, there's just so many emotions wrapped up there in the garden. And, and we see all of these things in Jesus. And so if we see these things in Jesus, our, our goal shouldn't be to get rid of these emotions because Jesus himself had these emotions. These are a good gift from God to us. The question is, how do we navigate them and how do we process them in healthy and good ways? And so um, number two, you can just write this down. Um, emotions involve all of us, mind, body, and spirit. So everything in us is just kind of wrapped up. We, and, and oftentimes we do, we try to separate this out. We, we want, well, I'll, I'll be healthy in one area, but I'll be unhealthy in other areas. And the reality is, is if you're unhealthy in any area, it causes unhealth throughout your whole life. There, there's just no separating out areas. We, we can't separate our emotional life from our spiritual life, although so many of us try to do that. We, we can't separate our emotional life from our physical life. And, and what I mean by that is um, when you get angry, just think about the last time you got angry, um, and maybe you got angry because it was a righteous anger of something you saw that was an injustice that shouldn't happen, or maybe it was a, somebody was just infringing upon you and you didn't like it, and you got angry, right? And when you get angry, there's the emotion of anger, there's also a physiological response, right? Your face starts to get hot and red. Your jaw starts to clench up. Your, your heart starts to race, right? You, there, there's all of these like physiological responses that come with that emotional response because you can't separate your emotions from your physical responses in the same way that you can't separate your emotions from your spiritual responses. And so... Um, when you think the problem with this is, is there are so many good-meaning Christians that when somebody is struggling with an intense emotion, whatever that emotion might be, we just say, well, you just need to pray harder about that. And if you just pray harder about that, God will take that emotion away. And, and the problem with that logic is, is our goal is not to get rid of these God-given emotions, our goal is how do we navigate these emotions well? How do we, how do we handle them in good ways? And so when, when we say things to people like, hey, if you'll just go to the altar and you'll just lay it at the altar, then you won't have this emotion anymore. That's simply not true. Jesus himself had these emotions. But in the midst of these emotions, he was able to navigate them well. And that's our goal is how can we navigate these emotions well? And, and the other side of this is sometimes uh, in some churches, and I hope it's not ours, but in some churches there are Christians that will even somehow look down on people who want to get help for their emotional struggles. They're struggling. They're not having a physical struggle, but they're having a struggle with their emotions and they want to get some help. And sometimes people would even in the church look down upon that. And I would, I would just say, that's, it's so interesting to me that if somebody breaks their arm, we're perfectly fine with somebody going to the doctor, and we'll pray for God to heal, and we'll pray for God to work, but, but then we're also fine for you to go to the doctor and have them reset that arm and put it in a cast and wear a sling, and there's, there's no like stigma on somebody who's got a cast on their arm. 
It's just like, well, hey, that's awesome that God is healing through that cast and the medical technology and the science that we have. And if somebody has cancer, we'll pray and we'll ask God to divinely heal, but we'll also perfectly good with somebody going and getting cancer treatments and, and getting radiation and chemo and these things. And then we'll celebrate how God healed through the technology and all these different things. And yet when somebody is struggling with emotions and somebody's struggling with depression and somebody's struggling with all of these different emotions in, in different ways at different times, if they want to go to someone and get some help and process these things with a counselor or, or a psychologist, there, there sometimes in the church is a stigma about doing that. And I would just, I would just challenge that. And say, listen, our God, you, you can't separate the emotional from the physical. You can't separate the emotional from the spiritual. It's all intertwined. And yes, we do want to pray for people who are struggling with painful emotions. But it's not praying for them to, to somehow get rid of these. It's praying that God would help us navigate them well. And we certainly don't want to discourage anybody from going to get some help. In the same way, we wouldn't discourage anybody from going to have a cast put on if they have a broken arm. And in the same way, we wouldn't discourage anyone from going to a doctor who has, who has you know, cancer to go to see somebody who's an oncologist. We, we want to say, let's use all of the gifts that God has given, and let's give praise to God when he helps us heal in the physical, in the spiritual, and in the emotional. And so, number three, you can write this down. So we're, we're, all, we're all wound up, mind, body, and spirit. But number three, emotions reveal some things about our relationship with God. They, they reveal some things of how we perceive God, how we think about God. Um, if, if emotions are the window to the soul, then the book of Psalms is the roadmap for that uh, window. It's, it is, it's the vehicle by which God's people have processed these emotions uh, for, for a long, long time. If you look at the 150 Psalms, you discover there's just an incredible range of emotions that are represented. There's, there's anger, there's desire, there's joy, there's depression, there's grief, there's sadness, there's fear. They're just all over the place, and, and they're just... Uh, there's a permission given to us as God's people in the book of Psalms to talk to God about all kinds of things. So many things that sometimes we think, you know, I, I can't talk to God about that. I can't say that out loud. Um, there is a, a wonderful theologian named Walter Brueggemann um, who uh, wrote a, a commentary on the Psalms and um, he, in this, in this commentary, he breaks down the Psalms into three categories. And he, he says, really, there's, there's just all kinds of ways you can perceive them. But, but one, one of the ways is to look at the Psalms in these three areas. And you can write these down in your notes. The, the first is the Psalms of orientation. The Psalms of orientation are, the, these are when life is going great. I mean, all the bills are paid you're getting along with your spouse and the kids are behaving. I mean, it's just like life is good, right? I mean, it, it, it's just, it's, everything's hitting on all cylinders. Some of you are there right now. I mean, you're just, you're in a good place. You're celebrating God's goodness. You're, you're just leaning in. You're like, I was actually feeling good. I'm kind of depressed after this sermon, Pastor. Um, you know, like I was, I, I, was, I was really on the up, but man, this is, this is kind of heavy stuff even today. Uh, if that's you, um, we, we as a church, sometimes in the church, we just have this notion of everybody has to be happy, happy, happy all the time. 
Um, everybody has to feel good. And the reality is, is that's not everybody here right now. Not every, although there are some of you who you're just like, life is good, life is great. That is not everybody in this room. It's certainly not everybody online. There are a lot of people who are just in painful places, in difficult places, struggling with all kinds of different emotions and different feelings for all kinds of different reasons. And, and so there's not only the Psalms of orientation, there's also the Psalms of disorientation. The Psalms of disorientations are the ones that, these are where life is not going well. These are the ones where, where there's a lost uh, loved one that we have had to deal with. There's, there's sadness, there's depression, there are, the dots of life just are not connecting. And with these Psalms of disorientation, or, or sometimes they're referred to as the Psalms of lament, these are the ones that, that God actually gives us permission to talk to him about the things that we're really bothered about. Now, what's interesting about this is a lot of us, we have this notion, well, if, if I'm upset about how life is going, or maybe worse yet, I'm not upset about how life is going, I'm upset with God. I'm angry with God for allowing this situation. I, you know, whatever it might be, we feel like we can't talk to God about that because that would be sacrilegious, right? I can't, I can't tell God how I really feel. If I tell God how I really feel, he'll be upset with me for like voicing that. And just the absurdity of that is, is we would also believe that God knows our hearts, he knows our minds, he knows everything that's going on in us, and yet we feel like we're gonna like mask this and hide it and not talk, and so we're gonna come to him and we're gonna pray these really nice, quaint prayers when inside we're just in torment and we're angry and we're upset and we're sad and we're depressed and we have all of these emotions going on but we can't talk to God about those things. What the Psalms of disorientation do is they give us permission. God says, I love you just exactly where you are and I want you to talk to me. I I want you to work through this with me. I, I give you permission to tell me everything that's going on in your mind and your heart and to actually process this pain. And, and so the, the people of God are given a permission in the Psalms of disorientation to tell God some, some painful things. And, um, and then there's the other Psalms, which Walter Brueggemann talks about, which are the Psalms of reorientation. And these are um, after we have gone through the disorientation and after we have done what the Psalms give us permission to do, which is really wrestle with God, tell God exactly how we're feeling, talk to God, and experience God's presence and his grace and his care in the midst of all of that, that there's then now a new orientation that comes or a reorientation where we begin to recenter our life on a God who loves us enough to let us tell him exactly how we feel and who loves us enough to let us process these things with him. And so, um, so these, are, these are the different psalms of reorientation. And so, uh, and number four, you can write this in your notes. Um, emotions need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Emotions need God to make them holy. Now, here, here's the thing. Um, everything in creation, the emotions are a God-given gift. They're good right? But everything in creation has been messed up by sin. Everything in creation is, is not the way that God intended. And so our emotions need the, the Holy Spirit's work to, to bring healing and restoration and cleansing into them so that they can function in the way that he intended them to function. 
Because oftentimes they're just out there awry, um, uh, working uh, in, in negative ways in our lives. Um, and although there are painful emotions that, that are good gifts from God to us, um, oftentimes because we aren't allowing the Holy Spirit's work to work in our lives, those are creating more pain than they would if that we would allow God to work in us and help us navigate them in healthy ways and in holy ways. And so um, <clears throat> just as an illustration of this, let's talk about temptation. So if you think about temptation, and I hope we all know this, if we don't, just kind of pretend like you always did. I'm about to teach you something, all right? And just kind of act like you knew and nod your head along with the people next to you, all right? And then nobody will know who didn't know this. Right? But when it comes to temptation, um, temptations themselves are not sin, right? When, when a thought pops into your head or when there's a temptation that you have, that is not sin. It's what you do with the temptation and it's the behavior and the action that you do after you've been tempted uh, that determines whether you continue to walk in the holy life that God has for you or whether you move into sin, all right? And so if you think about a sexual temptation, you have a, you have a thought that pops into your head. That thought is not sin. But it's what you do with that thought that moves you of either towards the life of holiness or moving into sin. It's, it's, it's what you decide as an action to do with that thought. Or you're walking through a grocery store and you're really, really hungry, but you don't have any money on you. And you see a Snickers bar and you know Snickers satisfies, right? And, and you just think to yourself, it just like pops in and you're like, where did that come from? But this thought, you know, I could grab that Snickers, I could put it in my pocket and nobody would ever know. And he's like... What in the world? Like, where did that thought come from? That's a temptation. That's not a sin, right? Now, if you decide to pick up that Snickers and stick it into your pocket, you've now moved into sin because your actions and your behavior has moved to sin. But if you say, well, that's ridiculous. Of course, I'm not going to do that. And you keep walking. Then you choose to walk in holiness and you choose to walk in the way that is pleasing to God in spite of the temptation, all right? So temptation is not sin. Now, the problem with this is, is there are areas of our life where people have convinced us that if we have a temptation, we've somehow sinned. And, and that begins to be really problematic when, when we don't understand that there is a separation from temptation and behavior, which is sin, all right? And so um, if we understand that, so hopefully all of us knew that, all right? Just nod your head. Did you know that? Yes, all right. If you didn't, I just taught you something really important that I, I hope you'll hold on to. But hopefully we all understood this. But here's, here's what I want to challenge us with. If we know that about temptation, why do we treat emotions differently than that? Why do we, why do we have a different <clears throat> perspective when it comes to emotions? So um, we, we would say things like, you know, when we have emo emotions, um, we're, we're going to not have these. We're going to, I'm going to somehow control my emotions as if we can do that. I'm going to control my emotions and, and I'm, I'm never going to get angry again. How many, how many of you have thought, like, that's it. I'm never going to get angry again. I'm never going to react that way and get angry at my kids again. Like, you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, some of us really want to. All right, but don't. Um, just hold back. Um, but like you, you've just said, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. Um, for me, um, every time we take a trip anywhere, anywhere, every time we take a trip and we're trying to load the car and get out by a certain deadline, I just lose my mind. Like, <clears throat> it's just, <clears throat> and I, I know, like, it's, <laughs> Melanie, she knows it's true. Like, 
It's like, I know that this is gonna happen. I can tell you now, like, I, it's like clockwork. Somewhere along the line, I'm gonna get frustrated that we're like 30 minutes behind schedule. <clears throat> and then I just start to yell. And like, I start calling out times. And I'm like, come on. And I start barking orders like that makes people move faster. And it's just ridiculous. Here's the thing. We can't, like, it's stupid to say I'm never gonna get angry again. You're gonna get angry. You are gonna, I, I promise you, the next trip we take, I'm gonna get angry. It's like, you get, I'll tell you, it's gonna happen. How I respond to that anger is the difference between whether I'm moving in the holy life or whether I'm behaving like Christ would want me to behave in loving ways to my family, or am I choosing to, to not uh, behave the way Christ would want me to behave, right? I, it's, the emotion itself is not sin. How I choose to respond to that is where I can move into sin or I can continue to move in the way that God wants me to move in. Um, another, another example of that is, you know, we, I'm, I'm just, I'm not gonna be sad. Any, I'm, I'm not gonna be depressed anymore. I'm not gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna, as if we can declare that. You, you're not gonna be able to declare that. You're, you're gonna have those emotions of sadness. You're gonna have those emotions of, of those strong emotions of sadness that move you into depression. Those, you, you can't control those things. What you can control is how you respond to those emotions, how you choose to, to react to those emotions. And so although we cannot control our emotions, we can have some say through the power of the Holy Spirit and how we respond to these emotions. And for every negative emotion, there is a corresponding fruit of the Spirit. And so, again, the goal is not to get rid of these emotions. The goal is how can I navigate these emotions well so that I continue to live the life that God has called me to live? And, and when you think about all of these emotions, there's, there's corresponding positive fruits of the Spirit to every one of these strong emotions that, that we think about. There's there's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, they're listed out as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So how can you be gentle in the midst of being angry? How can, how can uh, you have self-control the next time? So when, when, uh, when somebody says something to you that's very hurtful, instead of lashing out in, in the ways that we would want to lash out. How can we allow the Holy Spirit to so work in our life and be so surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit that uh, instead of lashing out, uh, we respond in a Christ-like way? How can, how can we get angry, which is an emotion that we're not gonna be able to control, and in the midst of getting angry, choose to be gentle, and to choose to be loving, and to choose to be people that would reflect Christ in the midst of the emotion that we're going through. And, and I'm just telling you, you can read every self-help book on every shelf in every bookstore and, and everything that Amazon has to sell, and you'll never have the power to do that. But the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us to literally sanctify our emotions and help us process and navigate these emotions, and as we do what the Psalms teach us to do, which is talk to God about these feelings and to be completely vulnerable and honest with God about these feelings, that we can actually find a lot of wholeness and healing and freedom in the midst of the worst of our emotions. Uh, Romans chapter eight, verses 25 to 27 says this. 
But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. If, if you don't get anything else from this message this morning, you need to know that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And, and there are just some of us who we, we, have, we have all kinds of strong emotions uh, because of things that maybe happened in our past. There, there are things that happen and, and, and we, we just, these emotions rise up and, and sometimes we even go, man, where'd that come from? It, it's worth doing some work to say, Lord, would you help me unpack what it is that, that's causing me to have these kinds of emotional responses? And, and would you help me navigate these emotions? Well, not would you help me get rid of them. I, you might never get rid of the emotion. And, and all of us, as we talk about sadness and depression, as we talk about anger, and as we talk about fear, and as we talk about desire, um, all of us are going to have one of those that you're like, oh, that's mine. Like, I can't miss that Sunday, right? You know, um, that, that's the one that I, I really need to be there, and I, I need to kind of take a lot of notes. Um, but the reality is, whatever that one is for you, and maybe it's two for you, whatever it is, you're not going to be able to just say, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to be done with that. But you can... If, if we're willing to do what God's word teaches us to do, if we're willing to kind of use the Psalms as a manual for life, uh, we can actually find out how we can navigate them well. And if we'll allow the power of the Holy Spirit, um, he can actually begin to cleanse and, and, and make holy our responses to these actions or to these emotions that we have. And so I just want to pray for us. Um, and I'd love it if you'd just bow your heads and and close your eyes. And I just, I just want to ask you, and, and just in a moment of just transparency, um, with, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if, if you would just say, I, I'm struggling with some emotions right now. Maybe it's one of these that we've talked about. Maybe it's not one, but you would just say, I'm struggling. Would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Hands all over the place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put those hands down. Father, you see these hands. You, you know those stories. You know the emotions. You know the, the things that are, are creating them. You know the, the background stories. You know the, the situations in their life right now. Lord, I, I thank you that you care about each and every person that slipped their hand up. I thank you that you care about each and every person that's here that, that didn't slip their hand up, those that are online. <clears throat> Lord, grateful that you give us permission to come to you with the pain in our life. We're thankful that you give us permission to, to talk to you in, in just raw ways about what we're feeling and, and what we're going through. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give your people permission through your psalms, that, that we would have permission to, to talk to you in new ways, that, that we would have permission to be able to just express to you and in honesty exactly how we're feeling knowing that you know our hearts anyway. Those who are going through sadness and grief and depression and 
those who are dealing with anger and those who are dealing with just fear and anxiety and, and those who are dealing with inordinate desire in areas of their life. Lord, I'm thankful that you can be at work helping us through the power of your Holy Spirit not get rid of those emotions, but navigate them well. Navigate them in, in ways that we can choose to, to live lives that are honoring to you. Choose to, to live lives that, that reflect your love in our life. Not in our strength, but through the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we just surrender to you again this morning. We give you permission to work in us. Lord, even if it means going back to some painful things, I pray that you would help us be willing to do that so that you can provide the healing that you need in our hearts and in our lives and in our emotions. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.